LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. And so I had this conviction of what if we were to take the, the, the best that a seminary has to offer and offer it to everyday Christians in the local church, to moms and dads and chiropractors, lawyers, kids, whatever. We ended up having uh, high school and middle school students go through some of our environments at the Institute because Christians really want to grow. So deep discipleship was really born out of this idea of what does it look like for us to put rich and robust discipleship environments back into the context of the local church. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, we just came, you just came off the Cowboys loss last night. NFL's oh. back. How you doing? It's back. I'm okay. It's back. So I'm really excited about that. You know, there's always, uh, yeah, there's always regret after, a, after watching a Cowboys <laughs> game. So I don't know. I, hopefully the season gets better. But I've had this uh, conversation to look forward to. We're excited to talk with JT English, who is the lead pastor at Storyline Church in Colorado. And before that, he was a pastor at the Village Church, where he led the Village Institute. He also co-hosts the Knowing Faith podcast, which is an amazing podcast, by the way, and is the author of his new book, Deep Discipleship. JT, so glad to have you on today, brother. Guys, I'm pumped to be here. Been looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. So I want to let you know, I was uh, listening to one of your episodes on the podcast, Knowing Faith. And it was the, I think you, there's a couple different ones that you guys have um, more to like women in leadership and the roles in the church and um, et cetera, which we won't get into that today in this podcast. <laughs> We're going in. Can you please recite your whole paper yeah. and your thesis on, um, but uh, you mentioned West Wing a lot yes. in that podcast. And I've had some friends that watch West Wing religiously but I've never watched the episode. But I would just say, since you mentioned, I was like, you know, what? I really need to watch this. And I'm one episode in and I'm hooked and I love it. But when did the love for the West Wing start? Honestly, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those shows that I feel like I always heard about. had a lot of friends tell me about. I never watched. And then it got on the Netflix. And somebody yeah. else at one point also got me the DVDs. So I watched a few there. But I was at Dallas Seminary. I had some seminary friends recommend it. And man, I just, I got hooked too. I never was able to get out of it. It's just been one of those shows that... Uh, I'm to the point now. I'm seven times through. I've I've literally watched The West Wing wow. seven times from beginning to end. But that doesn't mean I was like sitting there the whole time. It's that show you kind of put on yeah. in the background. You know what? You know you, you yeah. fall asleep to it, that kind of stuff. And I just I love it. I resonate with the characters, storyline, all of it. I I've really enjoyed it too. I feel like there's and this is applicable to the the podcast because there are a lot of great leadership moments on there. Oh man. Um, and also some great leadership teachings is a show called The Office of what not to do when you're leading. Um, so I feel like the two good compared side by side are really good shows. The irony of those are probably my two favorite shows. So. There, there you go. There you go. And we're honestly, though, so hyped to have you on. I've learned a ton from you from afar and uh, excited to learn from you today as well, JT. Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here. Well, as Josh mentioned, you do have a book coming out called Deep Discipleship. And we'd love to just hear a little bit about, you know, kind of the heart behind that. and What led you to write that book? Yeah. yeah. So honestly, I never really thought I'd be an author. It wasn't something that was really on my radar and was approached a couple of times from Lifeway. And I said no the first few times, not because I didn't believe in the ideas. I just didn't know that it was the right time for me to write it. But after talking to some friends, just thought, you know what? I think I, 
I think uh, whether anybody reads this book or not, I really believe in these ideas. And I want to put these ideas on paper just as more of an exercise for myself. And I really, as I kind of got more and more into the project, really just uh, almost grew more and more convictional about it. I had a professor once tell me that authors write themselves to clarity. And so the, the process for me was just just putting my ideas on paper, uh, trying to gain clarity for myself. And I think it ended up being a pretty good project. Really, it, it was birthed out of uh, kind of my own story. I got saved uh, in college. I didn't grow up in the church, grew up in kind of a secular environment. Uh, and after I got saved through a, a nonprofit ministry, Campus Crusade, and somebody just shared the four spiritual laws with me. And eventually, after three or four years, I was asking my, my pastor at the time, how do I grow? I wasn't really ex- expressing a call to ministry. I was just saying, I want to know my Bible better. I want to, I want to know uh, how to share my faith. I want to know how to be a godly man, all the, all of those things. And he said, Oh, you want to grow. You need to go to seminary for that. And I didn't, I was so far out of the Christian subculture. I literally said to him, what is seminary? I didn't even know what it was. And uh, he said, well, it's where Christians go to learn their Bibles and that kind of stuff. And I said, but it just seems like I shouldn't have to leave the church in right. order to lead in the church. Mm. And so that, and again, I love this brother. He's a good pastor. That's just the model that we have. And so for the next 10 years or so, while I was going through school and seminary, this conviction never left me of, uh, because I had a great time in seminary. Like I was like, this stuff is gold. Learning how to read the gospel of John learning how to teach the Bible, whatever it might be. And so I had this conviction of what if we were to take the, the, the best that a seminary has to offer and offer it to everyday Christians in the local church, to moms and dads and chiropractors, lawyers, kids, whatever. We ended up having uh, high school and middle school students go through some of our environments at the Institute because Christians really want to grow. So deep discipleship was really born out of this idea of what does it look like for us to put rich and robust discipleship environments back into the context of the local church. Man, I love that. And I know um, if you haven't, if you don't know what the, the Village Institute is, you can, we'll link it in the show notes, but also just go check it out. I mean, it's not something that you can apply for and go to. It's, it's only at the Village Church, but I think it's something that many churches are looking to and saying, how do we do this in our local context? Mm-hmm. How do we offer something like this? And I'm excited because those churches, instead of having to start up a brand new program, hopefully this book can spark something even in the lives of believers who are not on staff at a church. Because I resonate with that a lot. There is that step of, um, you know, I, I did crew in college, which is really cool on, on this podcast. We've, we've learned, we've heard so many people talk about the ministry of crew mm-hmm. in college, just such a formative period of your life in college. Um, so, so love to hear that. But from there, it's like, I want to grow. Yeah. What's next? Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, here's a few books. If you're really serious, let's go to seminary. That's right. And there needs to be something between. And I love that, that you all at the village stepped in. I know you're, you're taking that to storyline and now wrote a book for others to, to dive into as well. So really appreciate the labor of love that I'm sure that was. And uh, really cool to hear kind of even how it came together as you're writing um, kind of the clarity in that. So really yeah, the, appreciate that. Yeah. The, th- the last thing I'll say about the book is, is if anybody does want to read it or buy it, the last thing I want to communicate is that we think we have some kind of a silver bullet of here's the playbook that every church should follow. Yeah. We, we don't have that. I think right. locality matters, specific churches matter. And so really the book is more helping leaders ask the right questions to come up with the answers that make sense for their local congregation. So it's not, here's the way to do it. It's more, ask yourself these questions. These are the questions we asked ourselves and we were to build something that made sense for our context. Love it. There's so many questions I want to ask, but we also do have a podcast that we can hop into here. So uh, you shared a little bit of your story already. 
uh, kind of about how the Lord brought you um, to faith. But let's let's go more into the, the leadership roles that have led you to where you are at Storyline. Can you just give us a quick overview of those? Yeah, so uh, it really started, I mean, I kind of started with internships. I did three or four internships, whether that was in seminary. So I went down to Dallas Seminary, interned for a few professors there, ended up at Southern Seminary, interned for Russell Moore there for about a year. Then I got involved in the PhD department, helping do some, uh, I was the associate director for doctoral studies for a while. And then about a year after that, I was Dr. Moeller's uh, director of research. He's the president at Southern. And then for a year after that, I was his uh, executive assistant and chief of staff for a year. And then that really led to a conviction of seeing kind of top level of what theological education has to offer, some of the challenges that institutions like Southern and Southeastern and others are facing uh, in the 21st century to me wanting to pursue this pastoral role at the village. So I was at the village for almost six years on their executive team and a pastor, one of their central pastors over the campuses for six years. And then uh, really, I, I would have loved that job for the rest of my life to work alongside that team. And that crew was just a gift. Didn't really anticipate leaving. Uh, there would have been maybe one church in the world the Lord could have called me to. And it was Storyline. Uh, you know, I, I resonated with the mission and vision of Storyline from day one. I played basketball as a high school student in the gym they were planted in. So this is home wow. for me. So wow. again, I grew up again as a non-Christian in this area. I know these kids. I know these families. I know this area. And this, I wasn't just called to be a lead pastor. I told the search team this. I said, I, I feel called to be a lead pastor of a church like Storyline. So if it's not storyline, that's fine. If it's on the cards, I'll stay at the village. But the Lord called me here. I've been here. My, the irony of coming is my interview weekend was the last week storyline gathered. So I was here for wow. an interview. And then that Wednesday night is when the NBA shut down. And I thought to myself, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Right. Because <laughs> uh, the pandemic hits. And uh, so I've, I'm trying to learn how to, how to, you know, kind of pivot some philosophy of ministry stuff, pastor a church that I'm just now meeting for the first time through masks. Yeah. But the Lord has been really kind to us in the middle of all of it. Wow. So for those listening, if, you, if you've if you listened to many of our podcasts, you know, we just had recently Ben Mandrell on, who is now the president uh, of Lifeway. You probably remember the, the church, uh, Storyline Church, from that's the church he left. So kind of coming full circle, JT has now taken over that church. Um, and JT, I remember seeing uh, when you're presented as uh, the, the candidate, my first thought was, wow. He is about to take over a church in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. So from the time that you learned about taking over the church to the time you were able to first meet in person, maybe you guys aren't even meeting in person now. What does that period of time look like? Man, it's been wild. So, uh, so again, that was March. My first Sunday as their pastor was Easter. I think it was April 5th. I can't remember the exact date. And the village was kind enough to allow me to preach digitally from Dallas. I wasn't supposed to start, start till June 1st. But then when oh, everything wow. went digital, it was like, well, I might as well start preaching from here. So I was preaching from TBC a week in advance. So I preached my Easter sermon the week before Easter. <laughs> I preached, wow. you know, Mother's Day the week before, you know, all that stuff. So it's kind of a some mental dissonance there. And then I finally got up here in May and uh, did my first four or five sermons here in our auditorium with nobody in there. It was hard. If I'm honest with you, it was one of those kind of leadership, what is in your guts moment mm -hmm. uh, where you have to ask yourself. Like I, I remember vividly sitting there in our sanctuary. All the lights are off. There's one light on me. Our production booth is way in the back. There's one guy back there videoing it. And I've not even met this church yet. Why should they listen wow. to this? Why should they trust me? They don't know me. Yeah. And I, I just remember looking down at God's word and I didn't like say this prayer. It was just in my mind. I just said, God, if this is not your word, I don't want to do this. 
Mm. Like genuinely like this, there's, I just want to go do something else. But if this is your word, I'll preach it and I'll teach it to a cold, dark room to a camera a hundred feet away. And I just felt the Lord say, preach, you know, he didn't say that. He, it wasn't like this audible. It was just like this convictional, this is God's word. You proclaim it, whether nobody's in the room or there's a thousand people in the room. And so that was just, I think one of those moments that I probably needed as a new lead pastor that you don't do this for the crowds. You don't do this because there's a lot of people there. You do this because the message has power, hmm. not the messenger. And so hmm. preached. And then over the, over the last few weeks, we've, uh, uh, we we did something called dinner and a sermon. When I was recording sermons, we would bring 50 people in at a time and I was oh, going nice. to meet 50 people. And then we've started gathering uh, beginning on July 12th. We did two services. We moved to three services yesterday. And guys, just to encourage, encourage you, maybe encourage other pastors listening that the Lord's building his church here. We had 50 people join Storyline two weeks ago in the middle of the Love pandemic. That. We had all of our services. We get about 120 people in. They fill up on Monday afternoons for registration. Like, we're, like there's a surge of excitement to regather. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people kind of prognosticating that the future of the church is going to be mm. night and day and 180 degrees different. And there are some things that we should leave behind and learn and grow. But my experience has been there, there nothing will ever replace the local church gathered, the word sung, the word taught and the word preached. Man, that's, that's so encouraging to hear, especially it's just, it's such a hard time right now. And if you, you know, my wife and I have talked about this. It's like, man, I'm so glad that we have hope in Christ during this global oh, pandemic. Man. Like we have hope in the midst of a hopeless situation That's right. and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I know that there are people searching and, and what a time for people to, to go on Facebook on a Sunday morning. Maybe they're just mindlessly scrolling and somehow find a church. And yes. then what's so cool is that you, you said 50 people joined sure all of those stories have a very unique way of how they learned about storyline so yeah things are can look like they're falling apart around us we're we're, we're locked up in our our houses but man the gospel is still moving and in such a place as colorado so that's that's exciting you know as i was listening to your story and i I know that you mentioned in college uh your crew you came to the faith and then through there kind of you went into seminary training you were you were underneath um, you know, Moeller, you work for him and you learned a lot along all of this path. And I know that I'm sure a lot of this is in, in deep discipleship, but we have, you know, young leaders who are listening. And Josh and I have been so convicted recently that I think it was um, Derwin Gray talked about how discipleship is mentioned hundreds of times in scripture while leadership is discussed. Maybe the, the word shows up two to three times. Mm-hmm. Um, Another guest talked about we should be reading more discipleship books than leadership books. So for young leaders, you know, maybe they are, they're in that stage of, I want to grow in discipleship, but I am not ready for that seminary step. Mm -hmm. Can you just share a little bit of practicality of like, hey, here's, even if it was a new believer in Colorado, here's some steps that I've learned over the years that I would share with a young leader, a young believer about how to grow in discipleship and in your faith. Yeah. That's a great question. This is one of the things that I talk about in the book. Uh, I, I try to reframe a question that we typically ask. We typically ask, what do disciples want? Instead of asking the better question, what do disciples need? Uh, and those are two fundamentally different things because we often give, we think about, okay, what's going to keep them here? What's going to keep them interested? What's going to keep them engaged? And we'll give them, maybe it's a leadership book or maybe it's a discipleship book. I don't know. Rather than as leaders saying, what what does this new believer or perhaps this maturing believer need? And I I kind of break that out into three categories, uh, Bible, theology, and spiritual formation. Those are the things that I think are fundamental, kind of the groundwork for every single person, whether you're a brand new Christian 
or you've been walking with the Lord for 50 or 60 years. So like just walking through this briefly, it's never too early to start reading the Bible. I can remember before I was a Christian, I had one of those teen study Bibles on my nightstand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just would try to read it, but I, you know, most people got to Deuteronomy. I didn't get past Genesis six because that stuff weirded me out. Uh, but at the same time, as soon as I became a Christian, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered with the Holy Spirit. I had a new lens through which to read the Bible. And so I think sometimes we can create this expert amateur divide between people. The Bible is for pastors, the Bible is for leaders, and the Bible is for professors. The Bible is for everybody. That's right. And so I just would encourage whether you're, I mean, the Bible can also be intimidating, but sometimes we make it intimidating. And so I just would encourage every single Christian, spend time in the Bible every single day. I don't even really care where, just spend time <laughs> in the Bible every yeah. single day. Get Familiarize yourself with the story of what's going on from Genesis to Revelation. The second is just basics of theology. And I'm not talking about like the tribal debates that we can sometimes have denominationally. I mean, like, who is God? Yeah. Who am I? What does it mean to be an image bearer? What does it mean that God is redeeming the world? What does yeah. that have to do for me wanting to live a life of holiness and to be a person of character? What does that then mean for how I raise my family or how I'm a husband or a wife or a, uh, how, I, how I operate as a son to my parent, whatever it might be? And then spiritual formation. Like I would say any, any leader worth his salt, the most important things in their life is actually living a disciplined, rhythmic life of hard work. Bible reading, meditation, prayer, fasting, Sabbath. I don't care how, how many organizations you've led. You're going to crash and burn if you're not practicing a rhythm of a healthy lifestyle that is right. formed by spiritual disciplines. That's right. That's right. Thank you for that, JT. I, re I really appreciate you talking about that. We've uh, transitioned to the stone. Something that we have built into our culture is like a weekly Sabbath. And we plan that also with our direct reports, um, not to micromanage or to try to control somebody's Sabbath, but it's more, hey, let's make sure we're treating Sabbath as we theologically should treat, unless an ox falls into a well, right? Let's treat Sabbath as we should and really lean into that. Let's look back at your story a little bit. So when was the point as a the, the, kind of the unseen part of your story when you were younger, when you realized, okay, JT, I, like I'm a leader. You, you, had the, you had the realization, okay, God has made me to be a leader. You know, what's funny, the way I think about myself, I'm still not sure that I am. <laughs> you know, of course, I think and I think I think a lot of leaders might resonate with that is sometimes what what a person perceives about themselves isn't what is perceived by the outside, you know. And so I just kind of still see myself as JT, just trying to grind and make it and work hard and be faithful with what God has given me. And so uh, I, I, and I'm not trying to say that with a sense of false humility or anything. I don't I, don't, there, I never had like this. I'm going to be a leader moment. I've just had these small steps of, and they're usually when you're living them, they're not fun. They're hard. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not yeah. the, the, the mountaintop moments of look how triumphant my leadership is. It's, it's, it's in the room with maybe three or four trusted friends or an executive team. And, and you realize, do I have the medal for this? Like, do I have the internal fortitude to walk through yeah. this challenging situation? But probably one of the first for me, honestly, this is even before I became a Christian, when I just realized, okay, JT, you have a grittiness about you that, that I think is going to, prove itself. And honestly, it was, it was sports. Uh, I wasn't a very good athlete in high school. Uh, I was my freshman year. We had 15 kids on the team and I was like number 14, number 15, but I wanted to be on the basketball team. And so over the next two, three, four years, I just worked super, super hard to the point where I, I ended up being all conference at the end of it. And that wasn't saying much in the conference we played in, but it was one of those things I said, if I want to do this, I'm going to have to be in the gym more than anybody else, lifting weights, shooting hoops, playing, studying film. And so I just, I think those early days developed a, a work ethic 
that has probably stuck with me for a while. Yeah. JT, I, I was also all, all conference. It was just me and my sister because I was homeschooled. So, <laughs> Did she not, beat you though one-on-one? We're not going to go there, JT. Um, yeah, I thought that was a disclaimer in the beginning of this podcast. We're going to yeah. Oh, I'll just put that in the writer, man. Um, kind of a follow-up to that question. What oh, was yeah. a pivotal moment looking back on your journey that really defined your leadership or, uh, or maybe not defined, but that changed your leadership or changed your life? Yeah. So kind of maybe coming off the talking about having a hard, hard work ethic and, and trying, you know, to kind of grind each day. A lot of the guys that I've worked for, uh, I've also had those kinds of work ethics. So Dr. Mueller, Russell Moore, those guys are known for just being hard workers. One of the things that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to see in those two men is also the empathy with which they operate. Having worked closely with them for a while, I wasn't expecting that. But I can remember dozens of times being in situations, whether it was closed door meetings or just overhearing conversations they were having with students, where it wasn't just kind of about a work ethic, but it was about meeting students where they were or, or people that were pastoring where they were. So like I can think of one conversation that I had. Uh, or I, I don't even think he knew I was listening. We just shared closed offices. And uh, Dr. Moeller had called a student who uh, was grieving the loss of his wife. And he mm. spent probably 90 minutes on the phone with them, praying for him, pastoring him, counseling him. And he didn't have to do that. I mean, uh, it was right of him to do that. But that's also not maybe what you would expect from him because he's just up till 4 a.m. reading Winston Churchill type leader. And so it can be easy to see those guys and think I have to work as hard as they work and then I'll be the kind of leader that they are. And that's just not true. You do need to work hard, but you also have to have to have a tenderness about you and a gentleness. And that, that was something that I was able to see from those men that I think made me the pastor that I am today. It's not just about working 60 hours a week and reading books and writing sermons. It's about meeting broken people in the middle of their brokenness and I think that fundamentally changes the kind of a leader a person is. It is so true that you can just put, you know, pedal to the metal. I'm just going to almost run over anyone in my way. Like success is out there and I'm going to get there as quickly as possible. Yeah. And man, especially as Christians, Christian leaders, maybe if you're a pastor, I mean, even more so the tenderness that we lead people shows so much more than reaching that successful moment. Um, I know for me that the leaders I look up to the most aren't the ones who have arrived. I'm using air quotes there, um, but it's the ones who have have poured into my life where nobody else has seen it. And, they, and man, I can't even imagine. First off, walking through what that that student was walking through. Yeah. But you know that conversation with with Dr. Moeller meant so much more than anything that seminary taught. It was that yeah. moment that 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 took he took that with him, and he is probably using that in his pastoral ministry. And it's those little moments that, you know, we need to remember as leaders, slow down. It's yep. so easy to say, I've got to get there and forget the people along the way. So really thankful for that. And it's, and it's, it's like, it's, it's slow down. Sympathy talks, empathy listens. Mm. Right. And I feel like as a leader, you can lead so well. by just shouting less and less. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 17 to 18, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than a shouting of a ruler among fools, right? That's right. So just empathy, listening as a leader, so strong. That's really cool that you got to experience that, JT. One more, if you don't mind, just oh, indulge maybe one more quick example. My wife got real sick a few years ago. I don't need to go into the whole story, but we were concerned that she had cancer uh, mm-hmm. and, and there was kind of a timeline that we were given that was pretty scary. She turns out she didn't have that. But I called Matt Chandler, um, my, my former boss and friend and uh, he he was actually on vacation in Mexico and he came home early 
before he went to go see his kids, he and Lauren were at my house praying for Macy and I for like an hour, mm. uh, ended his vacation early, came home before he went to his own family. And it was one of those things that nobody knows Matt did that. Like, yeah. he wasn't doing that because he's Pastor Matt Chandler. He was doing that because he's my pastor yeah. and because he's my leader. And you do, you, you see somebody behind closed doors like that. And you say, I will follow that person through fire. I will do anything for them. I'm with them. Like Matt Chandler is godlier off the stage than people know that he is on it. He's obviously godly on the stage, but to be the kind of leader that you say behind closed doors, I still want to follow him. It was mm. people like that that said, okay, that's the kind of leader I want to be. That's good. That's just incredibly convicting. I'm just thinking, I mean, even thinking of my life, I'm like, how, you know, where are the moments that people I need to pour into? Mm-hmm. Just and thanks for sharing those those stories that nobody else has seen. That's, that's really neat. So let's, let's go back to when JT was just getting started in, in leadership. I'm sure there were just a few mistakes along the way, but oh, what was, man. what was the biggest mistake when you were getting started and maybe how did that set you up for success down the road? Oh man, it's definitely, and, and I, <laughs> oh gosh, it's funny. It's not even close. Like I could come with a hundred <laughs> examples. It's overconfidence. Uh, mm. You know, and I think a lot of young leaders, that's probably what we struggle with the most is, we know it all because we read one book about it and, <laughs> you know, and, and or I heard, or listened to a podcast, whatever it might be. Yep. Uh, it's definitely for me, it was uh, kind of a bravado that I don't think I even realized that I was walking in myself and I'm not trying to excuse myself. I just think I was coming across to people in a way that I didn't understand that communicated an overconfidence of bravado and unwilling to listen, unwillingness to change. I kind of an, I know it all attitude because I went to seminary or because I've done this job or whatever. And man, there is, there is almost nothing, uh, this might be too strong of a word, but maybe not more off-putting or disgusting about a leader than, than overconfidence. I mean, I just think about if we are truly calling ourselves Christian leaders, uh, the, the one Christian leader who could have been overconfident would be Jesus. Uh, but yet we see in Philippians chapter two, that rather than grasping after this confidence that would have been rightly his, he humbles himself even to the point of his servant and dying on a cross, even dying on a cross for us. Therefore, God highly exalts him. And so often we can walk into meetings or rooms or conferences, whatever, trying to kind of show a, a broad chested confidence. And I just think that's how Jesus leads. Uh, I think he, he has us lead with a, with a limp. I think he has us lead gently and slowly and with this lowliness that I often did not have as a young leader. That's good. Well, hey, before we get to the next question, let's pause and hear from our sponsor. In the midst of this unique season, Ministry Grid wants to help your church stay on the same page and maintain discipleship. Their hope is to help you continue to accomplish equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, even during social distancing. With Ministry Grid, you can train your volunteers on new or updated policies and procedures, resource your staff on new or updated ministry structures and responsibilities, share digital access to Bible studies for groups and classes meeting online, and equip families in at-home discipleship. And here's the best news of all. Ministry Grid is offering a special offer just for our podcast listeners. To learn more about this offer, go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited access for $3.99 a year. This offer is only valid through October 31st at midnight, so make sure you sign up before the end of the month. Now, once again, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, back to the podcast. 
JT, when you were uh, beginning to lead, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting out? Um, there's, there's several that I'd like to mention. Honestly, the one that's coming to mind for me right now is David Allen's Getting Things Done. It's not so much a leadership philosophy book, but it's a great book on productivity. What's going to happen to young leaders, at least what happened to me, is I was getting inundated with information and I needed a system to, to process an inbox, a mailbox, a, you know, tweets, whatever. I, I felt like I was just getting overwhelmed uh, with information. And again, this isn't like a leadership philosophy book. You're not going away from it, you know, <laughs> wanting to have a devotional or something like that. But, <laughs> but for me, it was the book that allowed me to start thinking through how do I set up my life for productivity and in a way that I can maintain and have some kind of sense of sustainability over the long haul? Yeah, this must be a uh, storyline yeah. pastor required reading because that was Ben's as well. I mean, you say ben, that? ben literally <laughs> almost had the exact word for word answer right there. That is hilarious. Well, he, said, he, he told me to say that. No, he yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. He's getting royalties off of it. Yeah, Taylor right. and I were starting to squirm because we're like, oh, that's what Ben said too. This is yeah. so, so, I mean, I, I, I told him this too. I, I've read the executive summary of it. The takeaways were great. But what would you share? as your biggest takeaway from the book, of course, you know, organizing your time, getting, you know, your, your to-do list set up, but what was, what was something that you've stuck with you and you, you implement almost every single day? I'd say the two top things were the, the first is minimizing the amount of inputs that you have. So to, to not have five different email accounts and then a mailbox at home. And then, well, here's how you get this information from this person, but to minimize to one or two, input so that you know if information this is the this is the stream of information that I'm going to be paying attention to and then learning how to process that stream of information. So if this is something that takes me less than two minutes, I do it right away. If it's something that's going to take some more bandwidth and some more headspace, put it in an action folder, put it in a hold folder, put it in a he calls it a tickler folder, which is like a project for later kind of thing. It's, I always thought that was a weird name, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it gave me a sense of okay, so I mean 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we didn't have email. And so we're still learning. How do we, how do I use, do I let email dictate my day? Like, do I just yeah. come in with my email inbox? Does that become my priority list? Uh, if, if your email inbox is your priority list, you're probably not leading. You're being led by your email inbox. So, I, so again, maybe to simplify, learning how to receive information, process it in a way that allows me to still dictate what I do that day. That's good. Yeah, so... I'm, I love this type of stuff. So I'm going to get really practical here. You said not have five to six different email boxes. Um, so do you have all your emails forward to one? How, I mean, I, I just love getting that deep into things. So I did, what have you learned? I did do that for a long time. I okay. found that there's also challenges with that also, right? Because you might want to receive a personal email on Saturday and you don't want to receive a work email on Saturday, for example. So yeah. I have, I have two emails. I have a personal email and a work email. Okay. Uh, I do on my phone that looks like it's one email inbox and I can click out of, out of the storyline one if I want on Saturday, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I like still having the two cause it remain, it feels like I can maintain some sense of I'm a, I'm a person, not a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, going back when you were going into leadership, I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts on what that would look like. What was your biggest misconception along the way? Um, how lonely it can be. Mm -hmm without a doubt, how lonely leadership is, especially as I've stepped into this role at Storyline. And let me be clear, I'm not like lonely. I have a wonderful family, a great team. But at the same time, I'm the lead pastor of Storyline. 
And that means I have to make the decisions that other people on my team don't have to make. And of course, I want to make that with input from the team and buy-in from the team. I'm not uh, kind of a isolated making those decisions. But at the end of the day, there, there can be a loneliness in this chair that, that you, the buck kind of stops here. And uh, if something goes wrong, I'm going to own it. If something goes right, I want my team to be celebrated for it. But at the end of the day, it can feel, it can feel a little bit uh, isolating. I think the, and related to kind of like a, a tangent of that would be, I think leaders need to do a really good job of cultivating what kind of input they're receiving, whether that's from their congregation or their organization or from their team members, because there can be a real sense if you're not building trust and credibility with your organization or your team, that the last time you hear truth is the, is the day before you step into a lead role. Mm. Are you the kind of leader that people can be honest with? And I mean, like honest, honest. Yeah. Are you the kind of person that has not just an open door policy, but your team actually thinks it's an open door policy? Because you begin to wonder, well, are they telling me everything? Are they are they giving me the information they only want me to have? You know, whatever, because whatever team dynamics we have. And so really trying to develop trust, relationships and credibility with your team so that you can make organizational decisions together. So, you know, young leader might be listening here in that. I know I am. and I'm wondering, man, I don't want to fall into that trap, but we're Everybody's just trying to tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to spin the story so, you know, he doesn't actually know what's really going on. How do you cultivate that type of open door policy without just being like saying, hey, my door is always open. Please right. tell me what's, what's going on. That doesn't always work. Yeah, I think there's obviously several things. I think the one that, that I'm trying to cultivate the most is I need to be very willing to be wrong in meetings, to be corrected by my team and be willing to go in a different direction if the best, if I don't have the best idea and somebody else does. And so uh, here coming to Storland, and this is definitely not a reflection on Ben. Ben's a great leader, but they didn't know me. So you walk in and they're wondering, okay, what kind of a leader is JT and how do we operate yeah. with him? And I could feel the leadership dynamic in the room shift because we were having a conversation. It was probably about reopening and all that kind of stuff. And the team, like we were probably 95% way towards a decision. And one team member said, hey guys, I don't think we've thought about these three or four things. And you could feel in the room like this. By <gasps> looking at you. Yeah, like... <laughs> is JP going to be frustrated with him? Is he going to shut it down? Is he... And here's the thing. That team member was 1000% correct. It was mm-hmm. things I had thought of. It was things the rest, maybe the rest of the team had thought of, but was unwilling at that point to bring up. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you are absolutely right. Let's rethink all of this. And we went in that direction and it was the right way to go. And so since then, We've had this dynamic of we can have real dialogue as a team and we can disagree with each other. We can push forward. Doesn't change the relationship that we have with each other. And so be the kind of leader that can be disagreed with or or contradicted with publicly. And that's not like a rebuke of my leadership. I think good leaders are the ones who are willing to say, yeah, I had it wrong. And I'm willing to I'm willing to listen to this decision because it's better. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. These are just f- some fun, short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one, JT. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? I'm usually up about 630. Uh, we have smoothies every single morning. It's, a, it's, like the, it's like the healthiest I feel all day long. I typically <laughs> eat junk the rest of the day, but, but I start each day eating well. Uh, say goodbye to my kids. Actually, my, my little boy started kindergarten today, so I'll take him to school every oh, single awesome. morning. I get into the office. I'm typically here till, you know, I get here about 730 or 8 or so. And I'm here until about four. I actually like to work out in the afternoon. I know that's not normal for most people. For me, that just works better. So I've actually got a gym at my house and I'll work out for about an hour or so, be done by 5.15, 5.30. We have dinner. And then from six to eight, 
or so, six to eight thirty, I'm all in with the kids. Like it's just that's my little window. And then at about eight thirty, I, I uh, read them a book. I'm actually reading The Hobbit with my little boy right now, oh. which we're having a blast. He is no, I, I think I started it too early. I mean, he's five. <laughs> But I was like, I, I'm, if I'm a good Christian dad, I'm supposed to do this, I think. So yeah. we're reading The Hobbit right now. And at about 8.30 to, to 10, 10.30 or so, it's just me and my wife. And we actually kind of unplug. Phones are away. We typically just watch some like guilty pleasure TV and just relax, have good conversations, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I should also say, because like, I didn't mention this, and I'm a good Christian leader. For me, and I've already mentioned this on the podcast, for me, Bible every single morning. Uh, and sometimes that means I'm just trying to listen to it quickly on the way into the office. If you don't have it, the Dwell app is a great app for that. Uh, there's some others that are good, but just spending time either hearing or meditating or reading mm. scripture every day is essential. Mm. Do you do the voice of Smog and Smeagol when you read The Hobbit? <laughs> I, uh, well, no, I wish I could. <laughs> it, one thing you guys will learn about me is I am the least creative person you're ever going to meet. <laughs> like we're, we're in Colossians right now at Storyline, and I, I spent like a four hours thinking about like, what could a creative title for Colossians be? And at the end of it, I had nothing. And I said, you know what we're going to call this? Colossians. Colossians. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's good. Hey, that, that worked. You know, that's, <laughs> that's right. You know. that's What's right. your favorite personality test? You know, I don't like to say this, but it's the Enneagram. I kind of I kind of was a, a early hater of the Enneagram, but I really like it. And I'm not, I know some people don't say it's a personality test, but I feel like I've learned a lot about myself, how to interact with others. So uh, uh, Enneagram. What are your, uh, what's your, what's your numbers? Where do you fall on it? I'm a one wing nine. One wing nine. I just got back from vacation and ones on in health go to seven. And so my wife actually calls me vacation JT. As soon as we, yes. uh, as soon as we get on the plane, I'm a different person. It's like, it's like Michael Scott when he puts his jeans on, man. <laughs> That's exactly right. That is me on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Oh man. Um, I, this is, people hate, if my friends listen to this, they're going to hate this because they hate this habit. <laughs> I have a, I have a habit of jump scaring people. Uh, like, like in the office, I just will, you never know, JT might be around the corner and he is going to scare the daylights out of you, especially my assistant about two times a day. And it actually, this, this is, this gets real silly. It started because I was scared that I was too intimidating and too confident. So I was like, mm. I need to, I need to start joking. Like I need people yeah. to know that he yeah. likes to have fun. And then I had so much fun doing it that it just stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Two times like I, a day. That's hilarious. You just never know when you're going to pop no. up. It's really a test as a pastor to see who's walking in the spirit. That's and exactly right. Four letter word jump yeah. out, right? Or, or a right hook. You never know what's coming. <laughs> That's true. Turn the other cheek. That's true. That's true. Hey, next question. What is your favorite app on your phone? Uh, pocket casts. So I'm a big podcaster and I don't like the, it's not that I don't like it. I don't, but I don't love the podcast app that comes with the iPhone. So pocket cast is an app that allows you to curate better lists. It gives you like reports of how fast you listen, how much you listen to. So pocket casts is a wonderful app. If you like podcasts. Okay. Check that one out. I'm going to have to, because I agree, man, the pod, Apple podcast, yeah. app, it's like, you have not innovated in no. 10 years. No, it's terrible. And Spotify, Spotify is like, Okay, but there's still there's some user friendly features that aren't there that I wish were there with those. I mean, you can you can every single podcast you listen to, you can say I want it to go 10 seconds forward. So I missed the intro or 45. You can customize everything. You can go 1.1 all the way to 2.0 times fat. It's entirely customizable. That's really cool. I'll have to check it out. 
What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? It's actually a book I'm reading right now. It's a biography on Frederick Douglass. Uh, I think the subtitle is Prophet of Freedom. Uh, and it won the Pulitzer Prize. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm about halfway through. It's a thousand pages. So I'm, I'm slogging through. But uh, but again, just another leader. I, I, one thing I would encourage any leader to do, biographies are essential. Just hearing how anybody who's done meaningful things uh, in their life, they also went through significant trials and errors. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Josh is going to hate me, but I love, we talk about this a lot. I love presidential biographies yeah. and just with everything that's going on. Is it this one? Is it, it the, uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually reading that one right now and I'm listening to it. Yep. Uh, we have to clarify, but man, that thing is, it's an incredible story, it is. but it's a, it's a long book. Very long. <laughs> it's very really long. long but I think I've been very, here for like three or four months now. I'm only 500 pages in. Yeah, it's a fruitful book. Definitely worth the grind, but it's a big one. Every time every time we have a guest, well, not every time, but a lot of times we have guests on JT, I just always feels like I'm I'm reading the wrong books because it's all <laughs> time about presidential, but I'm like, when did this start? When did, <laughs> did I miss something? Uh, so good. Well, hey, man, final question, um, and thank you so much for hanging out with us today. But what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Oh, um, Two come to mind, but I will just share just one. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess it is a sentence. I'm, I'm not sure if somebody else said it or I'm making it up. But basically, uh, maintain a soft heart and a firm spine. Uh, you'll go wrong if you have a hard heart and a soft spine. And it's really easy to confuse the two. Uh, so be tender, be soft, be humble, but also be convictional. You're the leader. Lead, but do it with, uh, with humility. Well, JT, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, shoot us a DM, let us know what you enjoy about the podcast. And maybe if there's a question you want us to ask or a guest you want us to have on, let us know. And we'd love to connect. See you next week. Peace. Thanks.